and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, Genesis 6. That's correct, Genesis 6. Now some of you may be familiar with this particular passage from the Bible, some may not, but it has to do with the whole concept of uh, Nephilim, fallen angels, and what some UFO investigators think might be the first uh, written instances of alien-human hybrid, if you could even call it that. I think it's important to look at this. Um, whether we approach this, uh, the Bible, from a spiritual standpoint or from a historical document, uh, other religions talk about this sort of thing, too. I think it's worth looking at, especially we've been talking lately in some of the podcasts about the whole idea of Bigfoot, um, the DNA print of Bigfoot, which I think it was Lestrade that had talked about there being like 11 different Bigfoot DNA samples. And they keep coming back as partially or mostly human, but no one seems to attempt to answer the question of what the rest of the DNA consists of. And likewise, we talked about the case from Australia where this fellow had contact with these two uh, what appeared to be human-alien hybrid females and was able to uh, recover some DNA from that encounter, which came back with that really old... uh, Celtic Basque mix, mix with a Chinese Mongoloid mix. It's very ancient uh, and rare uh, human people groups. So I think that's important to go back and just look at how long have these reports been going on. And it seems like they've been going on for quite a long while. Now if we go to the Christian religion, or I suppose you could say the Hebrew, this goes clear back to the very beginning. The first book of the Bible, the first book of the Torah, the book of Genesis, and it says in Genesis chapter six, this this is, you know, the sixth chapter of the first of the first book. It says, and it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, then the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he. He also was flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he would that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then it goes on and lists the names of Noah. Now there's a lot of a lot of thought about <clears throat> Why did Noah find grace? Was he the only human that didn't have this contaminated uh, bloodline, this contaminated DNA? A lot of questions, or more, more questions that seems are raised right here than than are answered. That's for sure. Now, of course, if you know, if you if you read before this book and after in Genesis, we know that people were reported to have lived much, much longer than 120 years. Methuselah, I think, lived to be over 900 years. So God is saying, I'm shortening the lifespan of man. Perhaps with these inbred human hybrids, whatever they were, this added intellect 
uh, given this given an individual this intellect an extra four or five hundred years on the planet, who knows where we would be right now? And apparently they weren't using this intellect for good. I think it's the Book of Enoch says that these that these um, sons of God, Ephlam, fallen angels, they go by different names, were actually the ones that were responsible for teaching man how to make war on on people. And to that point, of course, people had no idea how to make war. Uh, all really, I think, fascinating concepts. Now, if you go over here to Wikipedia, I mean, just kind of expand this a little bit further with the Nephilim, the whole concept of Nephilim. It says the Nephilim are mysterious beings or people mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. They are large and strong. The word Nephilim is loosely translated as giants in some Bibles, but left untranslated in others. Some traditional Jewish explanations interpret them as fallen angels. The main reference to them is in Genesis, but the passage is ambiguous and the identity of the Nephilim is disputed. According to Numbers 13.33, it says they later <clears throat> inhabited Canaan at the time of the Israelite conquest of Canaan. Now remember, that's when they sent the first uh, the, the, the first scouts into Canaan, Moses did. Joshua was among them, and Caleb. And all, everybody came back except for Joshua and Caleb and said, we can't beat these guys. We are as grasshoppers in their sights. Remember that? It says if you if you go back and look at that Old Testament story, that says that there were giants in the land. According to Numbers thirteen thirty three, they later inhabited Canaan at the time of the Israelite conquest of Canaan. A similar identical Bible, biblical Hebrew term read as Nephilim by some scholars, or as the word fallen by others, appears in Ezekiel thirty two seven. It says the Brown Dreeter driver Briggs lexicon nineteen oh eight gives the meaning of Nephilim as giants and hold holds the proposed etymologies of the word are all very precarious. Many of the interpretations are based on the assumption that the word is a derivative of the Hebrew virtual root fall. Robert Baker Girdleson argued in eighteen seventy one the word comes from the Hiflu causative stem implying that the Nephilim are to be perceived as those that cause others to fall down. Ronald Hindle states that it is a passive form, one who's fallen, grammatically analogous to Packwood one who is appointed, one who is bound. It says the majority of ancient biblical verses, including the Septuagint, it goes on to list all the verses, interpret the word to mean giants. Semechitis translated as the violent ones, and Achilles translation has been interpreted to mean either the fallen ones or the ones falling upon their enemies. In the Hebrew Bible, there are three interconnected passages referencing the Nephilim. Two of them come from the Pentateuch and the first occurrences in Genesis 6, 1-4, immediately before the account of Noah's Ark. Now that's the one that we just read. It says the Nephilim were in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. The same were the mighty men that were old, the men of renown. While the Jewish publication... Society translation simply transliterated the Hebrew Nephilim as Nephilim. The King James translated the term as giants. The nature of Nephilim is complicated by the ambiguity of Genesis 6 4, which leaves it unclear whether they were the sons of God or their offspring, who are the mighty men of the old men of renown. Richard Hess takes it to mean that the Nephilim are the offspring, as does P.W. Coxon. The second is in Numbers 13 33, where Ten of the twelve spies report that they have seen fearsome giants in Canaan. It says, And then and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come 
of the Nephilim, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Outside the Pentateuch, there is one more passage indirectly referencing Nephilim, and this is Ezekiel 37, 17-32. Of, of special significance is Ezekiel 32, 27, which contains a phrase of disputed meaning, with the traditional vowels added to the text in the medieval period. The phrase is read, Gaborium, Nephilim, Fallen Warriors, or Fallen Gaborium, although some scholars read the passage as Gaborium, Nephilim, Nephilim warriors, or warriors Nephilim. According to Ronald S. Hendel, the phase should be interpreted as warriors the Nephilim in reference to Genesis 6-4. The verse was understood, understood by Hendel reads, They lie with the warriors, the Nephilim of old, who descended to Sheol with their weapons of war. They place their swords beneath their heads and their shields upon their bones, for the terror of the warriors was upon the land of the living. This is interesting. Now, they associate these beings, I guess you could almost call them interstellar beings, with war. And what are we hearing now, all of a sudden out of the Pentagon? War, war, war. All of a sudden these things are a threat to us. Do they know something we don't know, or are they already in collusion with these guys, and they're just trying to put us, you know, under the threat of war? It says, then it goes on and talks about giants. Most of the contemporary English translation of Genesis 6, 1 through 4, Numbers 13, 33, render the Hebrew Nephilim as giants. This tendency is in, in turn stems from the fact that one of the earliest translations of the Hebrew Bible, the Septuagint, composed in the 3rd and 2nd century BC, renders the said word as giantess. The choice made by the Greek translators has been later adopted into the Latin translation, the Vulgate, complied, compiled in the uh, 4th and 5th century A.D., which uses the transcription of the Greek, Greek term rather than the little translation of the Hebrew Nephilim. From there, the tradition of the giant progeny of the sons of God and the daughters of men spread to later medieval translations of the Bible. The decision of the Greek translators to render the Hebrew Nephilim as giantess is a separate matter. and talks about that for a little bit. Then it gets into fallen angels a little bit here. It says, all early sources refer to the sons of heaven as angels. From the 3rd century B.C. onwards, references are found in Enochic literature and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, these are two different things written outside of the New Testament. So, you know, I do believe there's a scripture somewhere in the New Testament. I can't be quoted on this, but I believe it talks about Jesus referencing the book of Enoch. But for whatever reason, it was left out of the books that make up the New Testament when uh, the fathers in the church decided what was going to make up what we call the Bible today at Biblios back at how many ever decades after the crucifixion of Christ. But Enoch has been mentioned. Of course, there's Enoch in the Bible who it says uh, walked with God and then was, was no more, didn't come back, how it's phrased. But that's that's the uh, notion that this, or the story about this guy, Enoch, who lived so perfectly that he just went with God and just transmuted uh, off the planet, so to speak. So that's where Enoch comes from. The, the whole thing with the um, Dead Sea Scrolls, that is a whole different, uh, as I understand it, a whole different um, offshoot of uh, the Jewish uh, religion, almost like a cult maybe. They, they had their own belief system. 
and it ran parallel with what was going on with, with Judaism at the time. So it says here, it says, Enoch 7.2, And when the angels, the sons of heaven, beheld them, they became enamored of them, saying to each other, Come, let us select for ourselves wives from the progeny of men, and let us beget children. Some Christian apologists, such as Tertullian and especially Lactanius, shared this opinion. The earliest statement in a secondary commentary explicitly interpreting this meant that angelic beings mated with humans can be traced to the rabbinical Targum Pseudo-Jonathan, as it has since become especially commonplace in modern Christian commentaries. This line of interpretation finds additional support in the text of Genesis 6-4, which juxtaposes the sons of God, male gender, divine nature, with the daughters of men, female gender, human nature. For this parallelism, it could be inferred that the sons of God are understood as some superhuman beings. As on it says, the New American Bible draws parallel to the epistle of Jude and the statement set forth in Genesis suggesting that the epistle refers implicitly to the paternity of the Nephilim as heavenly beings who came to earth and had sexual intercourse with women. The footnotes of the Jerusalem Bible suggest that the biblical author intended the Nephilim to be an antidote of superhuman race. Some Christian commentators have argued against this view, citing Jesus' statement that angels do not marry. Others believe that Jesus is only referring to angels in heaven. And then it goes on and says, Evidence cited in favor of the fallen angels' interpretation includes the fact that the phrase, Sons of God, is used twice outside of Genesis chapter 6 in the book of Job 1-6 through 6 and 2-1, to 1, 1, 6 and 2-1, where the phrase explicitly references angels. The Septuagint manuscript Codex Alexandri in his reading of Genesis 6-2, renders this phrase as the angels of God, while Codus, Codus Vaticanus reads sons. Then it goes on and talks about the Second Temple Judaism. The story of Nephilim is further elaborated in the book of Enoch, the Greek Aramaic, the Greek Aramaic and the main Gaze manuscripts of Enoch and the Jubilees obtained in the 19th century and held in the British Museum and Vatican Library connect the origin of Nephilim with the fallen angels, and in particular, the Igrigorshi, or the Watchers. Samyaza, an angel of high rank, is described as leading a rebel, a rebel sect of angels in a descent to earth to have sexual intercourse with human females. And then it says, And it came to pass, when the children of man... When the children of men had multiplied, that in those days there were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels of the children of, of the heaven saw and lusted after them, and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men, and beget us children. And Samjaza, who was their leader, said unto them, I fear you will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, let us all swear an oath, and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations, not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then they swear they all together, and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it, and they were in all two hundred who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. And they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. In this tradition, the children of the Nephilim are called Eliad, who are considered a separate race 
from the Nephilim, but they share the fate of the Nephilim. Some believe the fallen angels who beget the Nephilim were cast into into Tartarus, and that's found in Second Peter two four and Jude one six. It says a place of total darkness. An interpretation is that God granted ten percent of the dis of the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim to remain after the flood as demons to try to lead the human race astray until the final judgment. In addition to Enoch, the book of Jubilee also states that riding the earth of the that ridding the earth of these Nephilims was one of God's purposes for flooding the earth in Noah's time. These works describe the Nephilim as being evil giants. There are also allusions to these descendants in the in the in the Deuteronomical books of Judith, Sarah, and Barach, and the Wisdom of Solomon, and in the Deuteronomical Maccabees. The New Testament ep, uh, Epistle of John cites from Enoch 1.9, which many scholars believe is based on Deuteronomy 33.2. To m most commentators, this confirms that the author of Jude regarded the Enoch traditions of Genesis 6 as correct. However, others have questioned this. Then it goes on and talks about the descendants of Seth and Cain. It's quite a long, uh, quite a long article here, uh, and this is just from Wikipedia, so it's not, it's not, you know, it doesn't have a particular uh, religious bent to it. But I did find some of the stuff informative. I have a link at the website ufowarning.com, and you can go there and take a look at that if you like ufowarning.com. And I also have, uh, there was one other one here. That I did want to take a look at also if we can get it, get it up here in just a second. But um, it seems it seems like a really uh, interesting to think thing to take a look at when we think about all that we're reading about the current news events with what seems to be happening with uh, in, in the UFO uh, and the UFO field in general. You know, we have a very generalized uh, approach on one hand where we're talking about seeing um, spheres and tic-tacs and shapes and just sightings from a great distance, I guess you could say. Um, things that, that, that really aren't um, in your face enough that, that, they're, that they're undeniable yet. Even though the federal government has come out and said, you know, look, we have, we have uh, pictures of these things. We've got satellite images. We have this. We have that. Still, a lot of people uh, want to be in denial about it, and they're able to be in denial about it because we're not taking the study of UFOlogy to the next level. I mean, if these things come in craft, well, then certainly something must be flying those ships, and it's. If we keep having these uh, reports of people seeing Bigfoot doing strange things, Bigfoot disappearing, Bigfoot being shot, and then just exploding into a flash of light, Bigfoot being dropped out of UFOs, and you, you start layer, layering what's going on here. I was listening to a couple of episodes from Dave Blytus' uh, Missing People uh, cases out of the, out of the uh, federal park system, and that's some scary stuff. And you got these poor individuals that have been... Uh, I think they've been abducted, reported missing, and they found the, the one fellow. They found him, like I don't know, a mile or two up a mountain, and it was I think it must have been in California. Anyway, they found him, 
inside uh, like a valley area, he would have had to have somehow climbed a 20-foot snowbank without leaving any tracks. So he's in this, uh, basically like a snow bowl. I mean, it's just he's just in this depressed area surrounded by 20-foot high walls of snow. How did that body get there? Uh, constantly we're hearing about the bodies. The bodies are actually being posed, and I think I, I like to see Dave coming out more and more talking about this, where he's really starting to, I think, expose the truth more. And these these cases, to my mind, aren't missing people cases. These cases are murder abduction cases. So many times these poor victims are found with their shoes off. Like it's, and I think personally that's some kind of sign of submission. Uh, many times they're found where they've been undressed and then dressed again. And he talked about a lot of them have this chemical, what's it called, GHB? It's a, it's a chemical that can be found in the human, but not at the levels they find it in. So I think it's one of these chemicals that you're, like a hormone your body produces when you sleep, basically causes sleep paralysis so that you're not up sleepwalking, acting out your dreams, hurting people, keeps you still while you sleep. And that's a good thing. It's not a good thing if you happen to wake up and it's still kicked in, you can't move. Then you have, then you have, you could have some kind of a night terror almost, where you have sleep paralysis and you can't move. It's not a good thing if somebody can synthesize it and put it into your food or drink, and then all of a sudden you're paralyzed. And that's what it seems like has happened with a lot of these people. It seems like they've been given some sort of naturally occurring hormone at high levels, and then left to die from exposure or drowning, or whatever they die from, when they're deposited back on this planet. I was thinking about that at the same time I was watching a cattle mutilation video from a few years back on the History Channel the other day. And they had a case where a bison had been mutilated. A thousand pound, maybe over a thousand pound, I don't know. A big uh, male bison. These were, these were basically uh, uh, undomesticated bison. The farmers raised them. They had them in an enclosed area, large area. But they weren't. Uh, treated like pets or domesticated animals. It's described as being pretty wild, so there's no way you could have ever walked up to one at night time and, and somehow did what was supposedly done. And they show the animal, and they show these surgical cuts, and they tried to reprodu reproduce the cuts with scalpels and lasers. Couldn't do it. But what really got my attention was, and, well, and also like all the other cattle mutilations, um, no blood on the snow anywhere. But what really got my attention was they found, um, was a tryptomyophen? Another, another naturally occurring uh, hormone or whatever you want to call it that I think it's in Turkey. You eat it, it makes you sleepy. But it was at such levels that it could have been used to basically use as something to subdue this animal while it was taken from wherever it was at and this terrible these terrible uh, torture was basically was done on it and then it was returned and placed there almost like a serial killer would pose a body. So all these things taken together get my mind working. What is going on here? This UFO thing—it's more than—it's more than seeing uh, a light go across the sky. It's more than seeing a light stop in the sky and then go. It's more than what the airplane pilots saw reported. It's more than what most of us saw. It's more than even some of the close-up experiences a lot of us have, where you just see this thing that appears to be, you know, a detailed type of craft, whatever you want to call it. We have to really think about what's behind the curtain. What's behind what we're looking at here. And when we and when we really analyze this, I think we need to be adults about it. I see so much childish thinking involved with it. I I regularly get trolled about this, you know, about bringing in things into the discussion other than uh, UFOs. 
Some people get really ticked off about the fact that I like to talk about Bigfoot sometimes. They get really ticked off that they like to talk about the paranormal, or about the deep state, or about people in positions of extreme political power trying to control us. And maybe that control is not necessarily for the good. It just seems like so many people out there want to just continue and walk through life like a zombie with a little kid's mind. And a person can do whatever they want to do. But for myself, this is about opening your mind up and approaching this thing from a aspect of intellect and an aspect of common sense and th just thinking it through one step at a time. And, and so when I see some of these really bad things happening, like these abductions in these national parks, where the national park people just seem to be so hateful and, and, and just want to become a stumbling block to a good guy like Dave Bolitis, or where I see these cattle mutilations happen, and, and without fail, every single time, local law enforcement comes out and starts talking about the satanic cow tippers and making fun of anybody who says, well, there's no tracks, maybe whatever got this thing came from up there. It's, it's, it becomes a little... It becomes a little frustrating to see people refuse to step up and think about things like adults. And so when I see this, I'm sure a lot of people will say, well, this this whole notion is too religious or this or that. But I'm just trying to open up people's minds a little bit and open up my own mind and just say to myself, what's going on here? Or, or what are we dealing with? Good, bad, or indifferent? Now, this one last article I want to look at, this came from... It says TexMars.com. I'm assuming this must be the late Tex Mars' website. I think he passed away here a couple years ago of a heart attack. I always thought he was such a cool guy. It, it's got a... The article says it's, it's written by Michelle Hallmark Powell. And she takes a little bit more, I think, of a conservative viewpoint on it. She says, recently, many reports of extraterrestrials, aliens, and UFOs are being presented to us. Should we pay attention to this information? Question mark. We need to go to God's Word, the roadmap of, of life for believers. And it says Ephesians 2.2 2 tells us, wherein in time past you walked according to the courses of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, this is something that the Apostle Paul talked about a few times. The prince of the power of this world and the prince of the air. It talks about princes and principalities of the air. Now, not heaven, but of the air. So, that it, you, it makes you wonder, is there some sort of evil entity that's there in near space? Not outer space, not heaven, but of the air. It says the Bible tells us who the power of the air is is so these UFO sightings are most likely connected to Satan. And then it says are are aliens really fallen angels? It is in the word it is in the world that Satan was cast from heaven and took a third of the angels with <clears throat> with him, since the number of angels is innumerable, Hebrews twelve twenty two, one third includes a number of fallen angels who have rebelled against God. The New Testament has many references of Jesus casting out demons. Now, let us go to the extraterrestrials or so-called aliens that people are reported 
as seeing in Genesis. It says, then it talks about Genesis 6-1 and 6-4. It says, obviously, uh, angels can appear as men or creatures. Lucifer, Lucifer appeared as a serpent to Eve in Genesis 2. Angels appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18:2. Lot also had a visit from angels in, in Genesis 19:7. Jesus himself encountered Lucifer, the chief fallen angel, in Matthew 4:1-3:11 and Luke 4:1-13. Satan, a fallen angel, was tempting Jesus and other and other holy angels were ministering to him in the wilderness, Mark 1.13. And then it says, There are many articles written giving us reasons that aliens are fallen angels or demons. They will have one or more of these traits. And then it says, um, The aliens of our time match the demons and fallen angels mentioned in the Bible due to their behavior. Like the Bible says, aliens never affirm the deity of Christ. It is said that aliens are advanced, but it seems they need us for their survival, just like the fallen angels need human beings to prey on. Aliens bring ideas to earth that will help mankind unite a worldwide new world order. Aliens often contact New Agers and occultists rather than Christians, as Christians will recognize them as demons. Aliens would like to be worshipped by humans as they deny the Creator God and claim they are the Creators. Aliens seem to give man technology, but these advancements are usually destructive. Aliens often emit horrible odors such as sulfur. Some call this smell the stench of hell. And kind of an interesting article, I really have to say. So some credible people are reporting on uh, the the phenomenon of UFOs and Tucker Carlson Fox goes on and talks about that. And it says, uh, talks about Nick Pope. It says, Nick Pope worked for the Ministry of Defense in Britain. His duties included investigating UFO sightings. The sightings were many, and Mr. Pope said the British military, which included the MOD, closed down the UFO investigation after 50 years in 2013. They claimed it was due to the cost-cutting even though now more than ever public UFO sightings are reported. In December 2017 and March 2018, the New York Times released declassified videos, and it talks about that a little bit. A lot of this we've already covered many times on the program, so I'm not going to re step it. But that's just another another perspective of, you know, what the gamut of these things are. Now, of course, Roger Greer will tell you that the that, that, that actual aliens are all good guys, that they're here to help uh, humans, you know, reach self-actualization, and um, they're nothing to be afraid of. In the meantime, he says that uh, the bad stuff, the greys, the, the guys doing the abductions, these are all uh, these are all creations of the deep state, more or less. Well, I'm not so sure about that. I think it makes more sense to think that maybe there's good, bad, and ugly. But certainly there's bad. And the bad's what gets you. So the bad's what you probably need to be concerned with. And, you know, as I was listening to, like I said, I was listening to that program that on David Belitis thinking about these poor people being abducted and tortured and bodies left as being posed and thinking about the cattle mutilations and, and a lot of other stuff and just our government's reaction to this over time. You know, I'm a lot more concerned about how the Park Service treats investigators into these missing people cases than I am about the Pentagon uh, giving us... Um, a fluff report on UFOs. 
that whole thing with the UFO report from the Pentagon, in my opinion, is it, at best is a diversion. The real questions that need to be answered are in the FOIA request by people like David Politis or um, was it Green, Greenwald from the Black Vault. We have investigators all the time putting in, in FOIA requests for this UFO stuff and are being denied. Whether it's UFOs or missing people or cattle mutilations, this stone wall, that rep- this huge brick wall put up by the deep state. So that's where the disclosure needs to start. The disclosure really needs to start with the FOIA request, things that people should have been told a long time ago, but they're being denied for no good reason. Well, why, why are they being denied? Is it, because, is it because the people that are denying it know that if they told us the truth, it would be so upsetting that they might have riots in the streets? It's not that people are going to be upset about meeting the kind of aliens that Dr. Gurr is talking about. But people are going to be upset if they learn that we have been culled from the herd by some kind of evil evil alien presence, some sort of fallen angel, Nephilim, whatever you want to call it, for years and years and years, and that our powers that be have allowed that to happen without telling us that they've actually colluded in covering it up. Now, that would be the sort of thing that would maybe strain the strain the, the, the fabric of society. That would be the sort of disclosure that would really cause problems. Not the kind of disclosure that Greer's talking about, of we're here to help. And that's what I'm kind of looking at here. How far does this evil presence go? How much of it's being covered up by the deep state or whatever government you want to talk about? And what kind of an effect can it have on us personally? These are all things I think we need to be aware of. That we don't just walk into this walk into this discovery process blind. We have to be aware that there frequently are two sides to the coin, good and bad, you know. And I think that this whole UFO thing does have a bad side, a bad side to it. And you don't have to look any further than the abduction narrative or the cattle mutilation narrative. To see that, and so that's why I thought it'd be, be it would be interesting to go back and do a little background work into where uh, some people are coming at this from a, a Judeo-Christian point of view, because so many times people that are of a Judeo-Christian persuasion think that that precludes the possibility of aliens. They say, "Well, the God made man, and that's it." Well, it doesn't actually say that. The Bible seems to be a little bit more complicated than that. So I think it's I think it's important to go back and say, well, what does it say about about these things? And some of the things that it says about them uh, are not really not not a fun read, you know, not 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 talking about nice people. Also, I just want to point out that if you want to be a sponsor of the show, you can not only go to the website. And, and check out the stuff there. We have all the links. I also have a short video clip there from the History Channel about Nephilim. But you could also become a sponsor by signing up for Patreon on uh, on on the uh, podcast there. Just go to the podcast, UFO Warning on Anchor, and you can link on there and become a, a Patreon sponsor. I've got a couple. It helps. Uh, other than that, the uh, podcast doesn't really generate any money. So it's, it's a fun way to show your support, and it helps me to be able to continue to do the research and take the time to produce these things.
Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.